Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, in this podcast, we talk to all kinds of different sport performers, whether they're coaches, pro athletes, or even just people that are doing a bunch of different sports really well. We want to help you become the consummate athlete, someone who can just jump into any adventure that presents itself, whether it's you know rock climbing or riding a century or you know even just playing on the playground with your kids and not worrying about your back going out. So we hope you enjoy this June Q&A episode. I'm your one of your hosts, Molly Herford. I'm the author of five books on cycling with more to come. I write about all things fitness related for bicycling and nylon and outside magazine and over on my website, The Outdoor Edit. And of course, I also do quite a few things outdoor fitness related, although less and less as the writing goes up and up. And I'm Molly's co-host, Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist, mostly based in Collingwood, Ontario. Uh, and then I spend a lot of time coaching cyclists. That's sort of my, my main gig, and I've been doing that now for, I don't know, 15, 16 years. Um, so yeah, so I work with cyclists as a cycling coach. And so that's what a lot of our, our questions today in this Q&A are from different clients I've had and people who listen to the show and you know, a lot of our listeners are at least partially into cycling and maybe share the, the goal of becoming more rounded. So we'll see what we can do today to help them with their cycling and maybe getting a little more well-rounded in their, their sporting pursuits. Uh-huh. Molly, how's your... How's your triathlon training going? <laughs> speaking of sporting pursuits. Uh, speaking of sporting pursuits, it's going well. I was going to make a joke about not wanting cyclists to be rounded because all I'm picturing is the, the nice little hunch that a lot of us develop uh, leaning over the bars. Uh, so Yeah, like haunt, haunt, haunch and then paunch. That's, I think, you get like, Ooh, that's uh, like rounding, rounding, yeah, rounding at the back, rounding at the front. Yeah, we're all fighting that for sure. So. Uh-huh. Well, anyway, I've been fighting that. I actually just got out on the mountain bike trails yesterday because I'm doing a women's mini clinic and I'm doing a pre-ride with young girls this weekend at a Nika mountain bike race, which I'm really excited about. So I was out scouting the trails we're going to be on and shredding around, which I know is not technically Ironman specific, but man, it felt good. Um, I've done some rides actually with Bicycling's new editor-in-chief. Uh, Leah and I rode last weekend for my endurance ride. My dad helped me. He rode next to me for 15 miles of running. So it's been a good, pretty good long weekend last week, and then this week has been all right. I've run quite a bit, done some hills. So yeah, and of course I still have my morning five minutes of planking, ten minutes of yoga, and that is every single day. And I'm very proud of myself for having maintained that for like 18 months now. Absolutely. And I think you you do a good job of it, but I think that sounds like you're doing a good job of stacking, and if we use Katie Bowman terminology, Katie was on the podcast and she's big on not just going for a walk on your own, you know, in isolation, but trying to combine that with some social activity, maybe some errands. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like you did a good job of sort of doing some some work meeting. Not that Leah, you guys are also friends and just would ride anyhow, but obviously there's a slight work sort of social component at least to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also spending time with your dad and, and, and stuff like that too, so... Yes, he's Certainly. much he's much more fun to hang out with when he's on the bike and feels the need to like make conversation for two hours versus when we're home and we can both get distracted by stuff. Well, dads often need that you know purpose of you yeah. know they're coming because you you need some water handed to you during the, yeah. the run or something. Yeah, I admit I'm still bad at drinking enough on the run, and he was pretty like upset with me that I didn't really use the water that he carried. Uh, that's a, I've been coming, I've started really like yelling at people about that. Like if they don't drink the bottles and they've like actually gotten someone into the feed zone, mm-hmm. like just how rude it is that you've like taken <laughs> some, someone's opportunity to like walk around the forest and enjoy the like interesting parts of the course and just made them stand there with six bottles. And like you, you literally just drank the like one bottle the whole mm-hmm. race. Like, yeah. So sort of get, telling people choose one or the other, right? But, mm-hmm. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, in yeah. this case, I think it got Dad out on his his lovely plus-size bike that he really likes. So mm-hmm. hopefully he gets out more and more. But anyway, how about you? Ironman training and bike racing, etc. You were actually just in Quebec for the weekend racing up there. Yeah, so I think we touched on that last episode a bit, but I think I was like slightly... 
I think you're still a little bit, yeah, loopy from the race. <laughs> One of my clients was who listens, uh, and thank you for that, for those who, who listen to our banter here, but uh, said that he felt like we were, he was like eavesdropping on a conversation in the last episode. And I said, it's probably because I was like laying in a linen closet, like half blown, just trying to get through. No, I would say it's because the last episode was me and Mo, and Mo and I go way, way back, and like, she and I got off on a fashion tangent for a minute. Yeah, he was less excited about the tights, and I said I would contribute that. He said the, the tight conversation went on for a while. But. Well, I mean, there are plenty of women that listen. and Well, that's what I said. I was like, someday you're going to have to buy some tights, and you're going to have some insight now to those those tights, both for fashion and function. Had, you've had to do that in the past, and now you, you have a little bit more... <laughs> Ah, I'm a professional tights buyer. I enjoy chatting. I mean, you just have to go in and ask them. Mm-hmm. I just was, went in and I don't remember what they were. I just said shiny and I think he wanted like three or what is it? Nine tenths length or something. Seven eighths. Also, Seven. I feel like your client is now just listening to this like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back on about tights. Anyhow. Um, yeah, so I, I I did my full distance swim, so I got Hooray. that out of the way. And I spent an hour twenty eight in the pool. It took me an hour twenty seven, but it took me a minute to get out of the pool because I was delirious after. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did the full Ironman distance in the pool. So hopefully, we had a wetsuit and a cap to that, and some drafting off of people, and one or two fights along the way, and uh, maybe get out of that water even a little quicker than that on race day. Yeah, it's basically like hockey, but the ice has melted. As far well, as the the violence in the water goes, I'm pretty good at throwing jerseys, so people better watch out. Mm. They're gonna have that whole wetsuit up over the top of their head. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's let's dive into these questions because sure. I have I have breakfast plans. Right. <laughs> Very important things. First, Molly's question. in New Jersey, so they have to go to the diner every day. Not every day. This is a one-time thing. Right. Every time I'm in New Jersey. Which is like monthly, so it's a monthly thing, but yeah. it's it's in the family. It's fine. Um, so we have it's we're coming into sort of gravel, like the big, I guess, marathon mountain bike season. Dirty Kansas, which isn't really it's more of a gravel grinder than a mountain bike race, but it's this coming weekend. So good luck to everyone out there. I have a couple clients that I'll be trying to send all my energy on Saturday and hope their two hundred mile adventure goes well. Um, And then obviously we're getting into, sorry, we're just getting into crunch time for Leadville folks as well. Mm -hmm. And the one big Leadville qualifier a lot of Ontario and Northeastern states people use is the Wilmington 100, which is also this Saturday. So I'll be sending those clients lots of energy to help them qualify for Leadville or boost their start spot for Leadville. So we have a few questions sort of related around marathon and stage race mountain bike today. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. For, for Dirty Kanza, we just bought the one girl that left actually like five hours ago for it a bunch of drinks last night. So that was that was our contribution to race prep. Uh, not you and me, me and the women of bicycling. We're good friends like that. Right. That's probably good preparation for that. You probably need to be a little... Yeah, she'll, she'll do awesome. You need to be sedate, I guess. Mm-hmm. She was very nervous, yeah. so we were just helping. Yeah. But speaking of which, let's uh, let's run into these questions here. The first one is asking about what tire to use for a gravel-based mountain bike race. So my guess would be something like Paris to Ancaster, where there's a bunch um, of mountain bike Yeah, so bike that sections. would be... Yeah, so I, and I think his question actually was more based on the PSI to run, but we'll answer both those. So this is like Leadville is to me and even Wilmington um, just a race where you're going to have a pretty high average speed and mostly be on gravel and not be like pummeling over rocks like you know something that's a a longer distance race but is all mountain biking like true single track like you know traction is an issue like BC bike race which we'll talk about in a second Um, so when you have like a Leadville situation or a Wilmington situation or if you are for some reason doing dirty Kansa on a mountain bike um Basically, what I would do is, personally, I would run about 1 to 3 PSI higher um, in those tires. Um, And that's assuming that you're running tubeless tires and generally run your tubeless tires under 25 PSI, which is also a rule of thumb. So most people, even if they're bigger in a run, under 25 PSI for actual mountain biking with tubeless tires there's exceptions if you ride really really heavy and you use you know really delicate rims then maybe you'd run heavier but 
generally under 25 psi with tubeless tires um unless you're again some random random situation and, and that's something that you would test again don't go out and race wilmington or leadville when and just take my word for it but go out and see like what does it feel like when you're climbing on pavement with your tires at 20 psi well you're going to feel those tires moving underneath you so that's why we run slightly higher um and then what does it feel like when you're pummeling over stuff on similar terrain with, you know, if I, for me it would be like a 25, 26 PSI maybe, you know, can I get through the Leadville course or, or, or similar and be okay? Can I corner on gravel without it being an issue? Um, so again, I, w- I would always test it and that's going to always be sort of the answer. It depends who you are and you should test it. But that's sort of what I would do is just use a digital tire gauge, make sure that you have an idea of what you normally run and just add one or two to that. Um, and you should be in, in pretty good shape there. Um, yeah. I have two notes. One being this is, I mean, it comes back to the same thing we talk about all the time, which is whether it's nutrition or your, you know, plan for race day or what you're going to wear or yeah. What, what pressure you're going to run practicing all of that stuff and game playing it before the race is just so critical. Like the worst thing you can do is show up and, you know, be like, okay, today I'm going to drop my pressure by three, or today I'm going to try this gel that I've never tried before. Um, So that's my first thought. My second thought is actually, so you have our digital pressure gauge right now. And it occurred to me yesterday, as I was at the trails, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do without one. It was awful. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal, because most pumps are not, I mean, like... Especially not for mountain bikes, when it's such a low PSI. Yeah. And I mean, for cyclocross, like I know Powers is down to the decimal point with his tire pressure. So I don't even do the decimal point, but with cross tires, they're smaller volumes. So I mean, it makes sense. And he's pushing the limits perhaps more than I am. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, definitely. It's a pretty cheap thing to get that could potentially keep you from crashing all the time because you're running 30 PSI when you think you're running 25 or vice versa. Yeah. The Um, number one rated one on Amazon right now, by the way, and I'll we'll throw the link in the show notes is like $12. So I actually just ordered it one day shipping because I have all this mountain bike stuff this weekend where I want to be able to talk to women and show them how they can check their own tire pressure. Um, And I was very embarrassed that I didn't have ours with, with me. Yeah. And then as far as tires, again, I would test something. I would resist the urge to go to a super light weight tire um, in a marathon mountain bike race, something like Leadville. Even though, you know, the traction stuff isn't crazy, you could certainly use a semi-slick. Um, but I would not get, you know, just a light tire for the sake of the lightness. I would make sure that you have something that's reliable as well. So, I mean, every tire company has something in that range. For Bontrager, it's uh, the XR1 probably. They make an XR0, but again, it's basically like the thickness of a tube. And I don't know for something like this that that's what you would want, but again play with it and you know if you're very lightweight on your tires and you know very smooth uh, maybe willing to get off and run through like a sharp rock garden type thing mm-hmm. um yeah so i mean you just have to be careful with that but again just try it and if you make it through all your similar terrain stuff uh training then you should be should be good to go but something in a semi-select that's relatively reliable and flat resistant is going to be the name of the game for an endurance race absolutely All right, we're going to take a two-second break for a quick ad here. So hang on just one second. We'll be right back. Consummate athletes like you know that proper nutrition is super important, but that finding the right balance can be super complicated. Fuel Your Ride is a comprehensive guide to performance nutrition for athletes that provides all the tools that you'll need to customize a unique nutrition plan to achieve maximum performance. This book teaches riders from everything from what to eat on race day to how to avoid the dreaded bunk to how to lose weight while consuming enough nutrients and how to power hard during your training. Fuel Your Ride combines the expert advice of numerous nutritionists, coaches, and professional cyclists to present a simple, clean, and whole foods approach to eating complete with easy to follow recipes that include delicious and nutritious, vegetarian, vegan, and gluten-free options, among many others. 
Visit consummateathlete.com backslash shop to find out more info or to buy the book, and we'll include a link in the show notes as well. All right, welcome back, everybody. Our next question is all about the BC bike race, but actually kind of more exciting. It's not about this year's, like, how do I cram in, you know, a year's worth of training in, what, a couple weeks? This one is actually about someone who's planning on doing it in 2018. Um, So they have some questions. He finished uh, 65th overall back in 2014 after hitting a wall on the fifth day of racing. He'd like to move into the top 50. So to get there, he's got you know, almost 13 months from now. So Peter, how would you approach this as a coach like a year out? Well, it's an interesting challenge because you do have a fair bit of time. Um, I know this particular gentleman lives in sort of the same area that the race is happening. So that's definitely an advantage because you can sort of almost pre-ride or test yourself on certain sections, which is is advantageous. Um, with something like BC Bike Race, there's both the endurance component of riding for many days. I think it's actually eight in the end. I think there's a couple soft days in there, but um, you're basically on your bike uh, eight days. And so trying to make it past five is definitely a good goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's sometimes tough, too, because they'll do like TT days, which are short, like hour-long efforts. Um, and for the elite people that's going to be you know they're going to be really pushing those days but for folks who are trying to sort of make it through or place you know top 50 is still pretty respectable it's about 20 or 30 minutes down maybe on most days again depending on the duration of the day but if you have a sort of three hour stage it looks like it's about 20 or 30 minutes Mm -hmm. would put you into that top 50 um, at least over the last few years um, whereas 65th was almost an hour, so sorry, 45 minutes to an hour 15 down. Okay, so for those of you who don't understand what Peter's talking about, because it took me a minute, he means down from like the leader's time, so you're finishing 30 minutes slower than the leader's overall in the mm-hmm. general classification. Yeah, so it's an interesting dilemma when you're looking at sort of the outcome goal of placing, because, I mean, a 50 pro people show up that could certainly make the top 50 much harder to make right and then your goal won't be achieved so i think that's a good goal in principle it looked like it was fairly stable across the last few years that sort of rough metric so basically you need to trim i don't know one sixth i guess whatever that is um and get that much faster. So there's a few ways, you know, in training, then you can make process goals off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, let's assume it's sort of 10% faster, and that could be both up the hill and down the hill um, on any given day. So, I mean, you can certainly go and use Strava or Power and just aim over the next year to gain 10%. And as someone who's, um, you know, not already elite, that's that's very doable to cut that time down. So learning to just be faster and smoother on all the technical stuff. Um, certainly where this gentleman lives, there's lots of sort of extended downhills that he could just sort of work on individual parts and start getting faster and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. And then also on the climbs, he's got a lot big mountain climbs and just sort of building up fitness over the next year. That's certainly doable to pull 10% back. Um, now question do you know does bc bike race have um like how transylvania epic has enduro stages that actually now deduct time from your overall or i don't know if they deduct time based on the enduro there's maybe time bonuses for winning the enduro mm-hmm. um, well that's how justin lindine got in the lead recently at transylvania epic the first day he didn't win the stage but he won he won the general classification for day one because he was second or third, but won the enduro, so the extra points sh- shifted him into the lead. Yeah, I'm not sure the math on how they do that, but they definitely do have an enduro uh, at the uh, BC bike race. So that's definitely that's another you know the context of the game is sort of the next thing I was sort of getting into. So the if there is time bonuses and that sort of thing that's certainly something you could look at now that's going to be very competitive too so when we're talking about being top 50 versus winning that's that's definitely a different you know probably off the radar for most people Mm -hmm. but i mean you know there was some really good riders who were actually around 50th 
um, who are more to the downhill side of things. Um, and so for them, that might actually be something. So that's certainly that's something to consider is, you know, if, if that's a skill you have, then that might be the way to do it. Um, but on the flip side, if I was a more downhill or Ryan Leach, who we've had on the podcast, who's more of a trials background, actually did BC bike race, and he definitely had to sort of tone things back a little and, and focus on the endurance side of things mm-hmm. because that's a that's where he's limited. So you most people will be limited by one or the other, and so you sort of want to bias some of your training and some of your choices towards that limiter so if you were walking a lot of the descents then that's obviously something that's free speed if you can just start clearing the descents so that could be more time practicing but also bike choice like a lot of people are going to climb and end up on a cross-country bike and if you had a cross-country hardtail at bc bike race you're definitely going to be limited even if you're pretty good Right. Uh, on the descents and the technical and the bumpy bits. So getting a bike that's more appropriate for that and maybe even sacrificing a bit of climbing speed. Because if you're just a, an engine, you know, you're, it's not really going to change your stuff too much. Um, so getting an enduro bike or a trail bike that's going to have, you know, dropper post and a slacker head tube angle and more suspension, that's mm-hmm. going to make you cleared steeper stuff especially with that slacker head tube and the dropper post you're going to be able to get lower and that that fork and the wheel are going to be out in front of you so it's not going to seem as steep um and it's amazing how much difference that makes so then all of a sudden you're riding more and i mean if you ride descents instead of walking them and having to dismount stuff like that can be again we're only talking about only talking about 30 minutes here um maybe less in a lot of cases of the stages so i mean that can add up really quick if you have mountain descents. Right. If you're walking versus bombing down them, like I could easily see, you know, making up 10 minutes on climbs if people are walking. So Mm -hmm. certainly that's another place in a race like BC bikers. It's not just the fitness. Mm -hmm. It's the, the descending and the sort of just technical skill. Um, And then I think the other part just. um, So he's got like a full year. So where does he start? I would start right now just, riding more and I, I wouldn't be scared to start you know a year out because one you know he could sort of even build into the race i think is at the end of june so we're about a month away um for this year's event mm-hmm. so i think just getting fitter and, and up to almost race fitness by the end of the summer um, and that might involve you know he's he's there there's lots of events and things you could do you could make a fake event and just do it you know over a long weekend or something on your own or with some friends and stuff um but I would I would start right now just riding more really mm-hmm. um, if you can if you have the time and then also you know figuring out some of those climbs and descents you're going to start you know testing yourself on um, and just tinkering around and seeing like can you get yourself up that faster by August first right yeah. and, and just playing around because the thing is and that's when anyone starts with coaching is you know, what works for this person, you know, what are your options for increasing your fitness given your life, right? Like you have kids, you have work and stuff. So, I mean, you're not going to, I can just say ride more, but you might not be able to ride more. So knowing these sort of metrics that you were thinking you're going to test with, how can you make those better? And do those metrics then make your race time faster? So again, if you have sort of a, a low key event you can do in the end of the summer and see you know if you get faster doing these things does that actually make you faster in a you know a marathon race or a you know weekend stage race type thing Mm -hmm. so that's what i would do this year for sure yeah my only other thought is during the summer taking advantage of the fact that i mean bc bike race one of the major limiters i've heard from people is just like the kind of camping and tent city sort of thing is you know you're gonna be a little bit more exhausted like you're in an encampment with a ton of people and you know, you're probably not going to be sleeping as well, that kind of thing. So I think even almost game playing, like if you can get out and even just go on like family camping trips and stuff and just get a little bit more comfortable with like tent life, I feel like that could pay off like big time in terms of your comfort than during the race. Yeah, that's a great point for sure. The off bike stuff in a, you know, especially when people talk about fading, which is sort of the last bit I wanted to get to was fading after day, you know, midway through or five days in. Um, you know, certainly that's general endurance, um, and pacing early in the event and fueling enough and that sort of stuff. But certainly if you're not sleeping in the tent, like that's the wheels are going to fall off by probably day three for sure without sleep. So, I mean, using eye shades and earplugs right off the bat, 
Um, the reason being that like, you're going to have someone that snores and you're going to have, you know, a highway beside the tents or whatever. So getting used to sleeping all the time with earplugs right now. Um, and then also an eye shade again, for the sake of light, you know, you're in the summer, you know, it's going to be light out till whatever time, 10 o'clock or something. And then the sun comes back up at five. So, I mean, if you can squeeze, you know, actually be sleeping by nine or whatever, and then not waking up at 5 a.m., but waking up at 6 or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, those are extra hours and more sound hours, hopefully, because the dude next door isn't snoring and waking you up or is snoring but isn't waking you up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then my only other thought would be just making sure your nutrition is, like, you know, super dialed during the race. Because, again, the five-day fade could also just be because you're lacking in some calories at that point. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And with BC Bike Race, it's again a lot of single tracks so a lot of times that sort of makes it harder for people to eat so again practicing that right off the bat eat on your rides and figure out what you like to eat and you know some options that way what you're drinking and that sort of stuff mm-hmm. um and then i think just minimizing the downside is always the other part i like to do um i'm, I'm making lazy here. Uh, yeah i i <laughs> <laughs> We had a slight interruption there. <laughs> um, yeah, so minimizing the downside is in terms of not going zero kilometers an hour. So again, not walking the downhills if you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get a flat, can you fix it quickly? Um, you know, as far as feeding and stuff, like, is there options to keep you moving forward quicker? So that could be drop bags in some events. It could be just using a hydration pack. Um, and then also staying healthy. So things like hand washing are important, um, especially in a group setting. So making sure at the aid station, or sorry, at the dinners at night and stuff, that there's a way to wash your hands and just avoid touching your face and, you know, maybe using hand sanitizer or something. But that's definitely a high-risk thing. Um, and then just easing into those first couple of days. Again, the, the TT days and stuff are often just tough to negotiate like I would always I wouldn't go super deep on some of those early TT days because you know that you know gaining three minutes um, by maxing out on a one hour stage you could easily pull back half an hour or something just not by blowing on day five right Mm -hmm. so the money's really made on those latter days especially if they get longer where people are fading and days are getting long yeah absolutely so hopefully there's something there. You got a long time to prepare. So. Yeah. Cool. And definitely, uh, if if you're listening, uh, let us know in a couple months or a few months how it's going, and you know any tweaks that you're making because it'd be really cool to kind of see how this progresses over the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if there's like a specific thing too about it, um, it's sort of a large global th- concept, I guess. Um, but you have time to prepare, so you may as well start and do little events. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question. We have a. I'll still be here. <laughs> anyway, we have uh, we have a cyclist who wants to do a tour, and I actually didn't look at how far apart these cities are, but Fresno to Morro Bay in California. Um, he's a cyclist. He seems like he's already you know been riding a fair bit, but maybe touring is super new to him. Uh, so let's uh, let's dive in for you know new bike tourers that like know how to ride a bike and you know can do decent mileage. How do you get into bike touring? Well, and I don't think it's a giant route either. Um, I actually, yeah, when I actually answered this, I thought it was actually further for some. I thought it was like full down the coast. This one's actually sort of riding to the coast from inland um, to California, so it's. Like 140 miles. I don't know. Bike room, it might be a little longer. Let me just double check so we know what we're talking about here. Um, 140 miles. So Google Maps estimates 14 hours. So, I mean, you're probably a couple days to do that. Um, so that's actually pretty neat. So it's actually a good place to start as far as bike touring. Um so anyhow, I had suggested this guy actually similar to what you were saying for the BC bike race is just playing around like, you know, first ride to your friends and stay overnight and then ride back home, right? Like make a weekend out of it. Or, you know, if you have your tent stuff and you're, you know, pretty well-versed in camping, then go and do a, you know, a little like 50 miler out and back and then 
you know, come back. And I think that that's the biggest thing. And really, if you're riding to work every day, again, you're doing sort of those similar elements of just learning to exist, like ride, you know, a bunch, a chunk of your day, riding more every day, expending more energy and then also learning the logistics side of it of you know where are you going to put your bike at night and you know where are you going to sleep at night and how are you going to carry stuff on your bike um certainly if you were commuting to work and you were pretty flexible if you can bring your bike into work and stuff and you can start riding with all your packs and bags and and that sort of stuff but for a, a distance of that type i think there's so many cool saddlebags now that are sort of just really expanded saddlebags that sort of go out back like a fender yes um and, and some nice handlebar bags and stuff too. So it, it really doesn't change the actual physical riding of your bike a ton, but you're able to carry, you know, enough to changes of clothes and, uh, you know, whatever else you need. Again, if you're getting into camping equipment, it definitely gets a little burlier, but. No, I think Ortlieb makes a really good one that actually like rolls in or rolls out. So it expands and contracts, which mm. is pretty sweet. And it's waterproof. So it's basically like a fender, but you can pack all your stuff in it. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a pretty cool one. And I love the handlebar ones that have like a clear pocket on top. So you can actually put your cell phone sort of right on top if you need that for your route or, you know, you just want to keep an eye on your phone. I was going to say, maybe you could put a map. I mean, if you're doing touring here, we need to be like very old school and have glasses pinned on our like button down shirt and stuff. Okay, don't talk to me about old school. My great, 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 great uncle was one of the first people to ride across the country on his bicycle and he had full on rubber tires and a fixed gear and he had to walk it downhill because otherwise the tires were like smoking and wearing down. <laughs> he slept in haystacks full of rattlesnakes and wrote the book Frisco or Bust. And he was one of your inspirations for writing, was he not? Yes, I never knew I was going to write about bikes, but I knew that I had a relative that wrote a book, and all I wanted to do with my life was write books. Ironically, I also write books about bikes, so following in his footsteps, I guess. Um, I have yet to ride across the country, though, which is not on my bucket list, by the way. Yeah, I've tried to convince you a few times, but... No. Anyway, let's get into some shorter questions, why don't we? Um, I just wanted to say, too, if people, uh, when they are, definitely keep submitting questions on the website. But you can also search, too, and and maybe find, you know, another episode that might be of interest. um, And then also some other insights into questions like this. So definitely we have some bike packing um, guests who have been on and, and have touched on that. So you can definitely search that and those episodes should come up on the consummateathlete.com website Mm -hmm. all right let's get into the shorter workout questions here um i actually really want to go i'm going to skip a couple and come back to them but i love this one someone is asking about tips on how to measure his rivals and how to know if he's going out too hard too early Uh, his limiter is his need for a longer recovery period so after a hard race he's just super fatigued for a few days and doesn't have any energy for any kind of workout so what do you what do you say to that well that's actually like seven questions at once but um i really like the measuring the rivals though for some reason that that appeals to me yeah and it's a tough one i mean it really depends on the type of race right like i i dislike tactics but on the road like it's completely irrational. Like you have to sort of stay in the race. So, I mean, you, you sort of choose the things that you're covering and as you race more, you'll learn, you know, if a, if a break's going to stay away or, or when to jump on stuff. But um, although that's how all of the pros lost to Mike Garrigan at cyclocross nationals when he went on the first lap and no one, no one believed that he'd hold it. Yeah, and that would be an example of, like, he always would get away early and then fade, and everyone just assumed he would fade, and then that was the, the time he didn't fade, right? <laughs> so certainly knowing your rivals can be an error. So I think that's where I usually start is that we're not racing the Tour de France, most of us. Mm-hmm. But, and it's really, you know, you know yourself, and again, you train in a certain way. So knowing, you know, what's sustainable comes from doing intervals. It comes from doing hill intervals. It comes from doing threshold intervals. Um, it comes from doing long rides where you know sort of what a sustainable pace is and what it feels like when you're sort of over your limit and how much you can push over your limit. So your training ahead of time should be simulating those those efforts and the the competitors don't matter like i think we get into an error a lot of the times 
when we start thinking too much about the person and their feelings and their previous capacity and thinking more about sort of your positioning in the race. So, you know, if you know what's sustainable and when, you know, your best pace to get to the finish line, um, then you can better appreciate like, okay, well, this person's going to do this work. And if I jump on them, then that's going to put me, you know, ahead of the whole group and we'll be able to stay away the rest of the race. Or you'll be like, there's no way we're going to stay away for the rest of the race. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just too much work to do. And so you start sort of learning that and what you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, related to the last part of his question, like the need for long recoveries usually is that you've done something like way over what your normal is. So I really like the, the uh, idea of work capacity so thinking okay well to finish your race requires this many kilojoules which is how power would measure sort of we can just call it calories but this amount of energy Mm -hmm. to finish and so that should be something that you're very well conditioned so a lot of days of the week and by a variety of measures so most mountain bike races are about 90 minutes is call that a thousand you know maybe more than that call it 1500 kilojoules um, so that's going to be like a three-hour ride for a lot of people, for men at least, um, or bigger people. Um, so all that to say, just trying to develop the work capacity to do that amount of work or that expend that amount of energy, and that should help. Um, you know, as you match the demands of the race, it should help with the recovery after the race. Mm-hmm. I often talk about marathon runners like the best like guy who did the two hour thing like he was fine after i'm sure he was a little tired but you know he was ecstatic and talked to the fans after and stuff and Mm -hmm. um and the media after whereas like most recreational people who have like just got like the endurance to to finish me included i didn't have the muscular endurance when i first did my uh marathon and muscularly i was destroyed like i could barely walk Mm mm-hmm um, and, and that's just an example of not being conditioned to the demands of the event. So I, yeah. I would say look at the training specificity, you know, train yourself. If you're doing crits or something, then you're going to have to do a lot of really stochastic up and down work. Um, if you're doing a marathon mountain bike race, then it's very important that you learn sort of that sustainable limit and learn to ride on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think my other two thoughts would be the post rot. Like if you're really feeling like this every race, I'd also question your post race nutrition. Like, are you getting in, you know, some protein, some carbs and, you know, refueling? Because the fatigue could also just be like partial, you know, nutritional deficits and you're just not bouncing back because of that. Yeah, Um, for sure. That's a good point. That would be my first thought. The second thought would actually be if you're this, this might be totally off base, um, but I've been actually talking with a bunch of sports psychs about this kind of thing lately, where if you like believe that you're fatigued after every race and you can't possibly you know even do like a yoga workout the next day you're gonna feel like that you know versus if you kind of think like okay I'm just gonna do a really chill yoga class the next day or you know I'm gonna go for a walk or I feel fine um the placebo effect is quite strong so if you believe that after every race you're super fatigued you know you're going to feel super fatigued. Yeah. And it's hard without knowing the exact situation, yeah, but certainly absolutely. that's, that's the mindset is part of it. Um, for sure. And also just knowing that like, it's okay to move when you're, you know, in pain or when you have some fatigue again, you're not going to go and do another race, but it's okay. As you say, to do yoga or go for a walk or something. Mm-hmm. But the fueling is a good point, you know, if you're not eating during the race or maybe just generally, generally if you have prolonged muscle soreness and, you know, just always ongoing like soreness um, and fatigue, then obviously, or then often the calories, the protein, the carbohydrate are, are an issue. And in this day of the fat adapted athlete, that's more and more common that people are just like super tired and not recovering and often it's calories carbs or protein or all three mm-hmm. all right let's hit these next two pretty quick here uh workouts to increase ftp and also maybe a quick explanation of ftp yeah so ftp is functional threshold power so you'll see a lot of different definitions um it's basically like a sustainable max power 
um, it's not necessarily an hour, um, which is what you'll see in a lot of definitions, but it's trying to just estimate a sort of load that your body can sustain in a, a sustained state, basically a hard effort. So uh, usually if you think about like cyclocross or crit racing, it's usually, you know, around or just under as far as the average. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously those events are very on and off. Um, but a TT for 40 kilometers is thought to be a pretty good estimate of that. Um, so just a very steady sort of sustained hard effort. You know, it's usually around the point where you're breathing pretty hard and you're not really interested in making conversation. Um, so it's it's pretty critical because it, we may also just call it race pace for a lot of, a lot of people. Um, so the question is, how do you increase it? Well, really there's a variety of ways you could and it depends what you've done in the past on what will help you in the next sort of six weeks usually um but generally what will help and is threshold training is going to be under or at that that intensity so your first job is to sort of figure out what is that intensity um and then to ride just under it and most people think their threshold is much higher than it is um so i would always sort of not be scared to just train under but certainly it might be a little more under than you think because you might think it's higher than it is Mm -hmm. Um, so a common mistake is to use a 20 minute power which is going to overestimate that Um, so just to be careful that you're training under it and and not drilling yourself into the ground because if you use a 20 minute power and you try and match that power you're going to be like tt like full out and you're not going to be able to recover very quickly off that yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically you're going to do steady efforts, which a lot of people don't like, um, and then that's generally going to help you increase that until it doesn't, and then you're going to have to go and change your training and do either something harder or maybe just train endurance for a while. Um, there's a few different things you would go to after that, but the initial thing would be something like a 3 by 10 hard but sustainable sort of steady effort no coasting that type of thing Mm -hmm. Um, just around that point where you're sort of like wanting to stand up and you're breathing hard and just sort of holding that pace yeah absolutely all right and that sort of leads actually nicely into this next question uh what workouts are best leading into a race which i realize is a very open-ended kind of question because it depends on pretty much every factor ever um but any general guidelines? Yeah, I think the biggest mistake people make is being um, tired going into a race and doing too much. So they try and completely replicate the race or something the week before. Or you know, the common thing I deal with is people with their weekly races. So they want to race on the weekend and to be the best race ever. But then they're going to burn all their nervous energy and you know, quote, you know, use those like really hard efforts to beat their buddies at a weekly race on you know Wednesday or Thursday and then they're going to race on Saturday mm-hmm. and they've, they've used all that energy whereas what we might prefer is if we're racing Saturday you know Tuesday probably maybe Wednesday we do um, you know sort of a race prep workout or a taper workout you might call it um, and, and that, that's still a hard workout but it's not like 40 50 60 minutes of just full out effort maybe like the workouts we were just describing sort of more of a threshold you know 30 40 50 minutes of hard breathing Uh, but more something you know the classic sort of taper would be like an anaerobic like one and a half minute interval maybe five of them or something like that Mm -hmm. Um, some people use two minutes some people use one minute some people use 30 seconds but just something that's really intense and really like sort of peak power peak speed um, just to sort of condition those muscles to be moving and contracting mm-hmm. really, really quickly. Um, but then also not fatiguing. Usually if you go into longer efforts, the recovery time is going to be. So if we race for 50 minutes on Wednesday, the recovery from that is going to be much more. But we might not have touched that really high intensity. Um, that's going to help just sort of boost our speed or boost you know sort of our top end into the race. Um, so it's my, very much about sort of dropping volume and increasing activation, maintaining speed, maintaining muscle contraction, maintaining what you call it strength mm-hmm. um, in, in, into an event. Um, and then otherwise just being prepared. So the other thing that happens is if you sort of back off the volume, you should have more time to prepare and make sure your bike doesn't fall apart and that you're sleeping and eating normally but adequately. Um, so yeah, that's sort of what I would say is usually it gets more intense beforehand. 
but yeah. uh, not intense in the in the sense that you're you know knackered more in the tense in the fact that you've done five good short hard intervals and gone home mm-hmm. um yeah Excellent. and that could definitely be a pre-ride if you're sort of mountain biking or cross or whatever too mm-hmm. perfect all right time for one more here let's go with what do we think of crossfit <laughs> dun, dun, okay. dun. so as always i think you can search that uh, on the website too, we have Steve Neal's been on. We've had um, I'm blanking on the rowing lady's name, Sarah. Sarah um, and then we had our biathlon man, um, mm-hmm. which sounds like a movie, but he was talking about TACFIT, which is you know obviously somewhat to play on the CrossFit sort of mentology, but more with a tactical sort of military uh, spin to it. But um, all three of them touched on strength training and sort of the CrossFit mentality, which is mostly, you know, when we talk about CrossFit, it's really strength training motions, some gymnastics motions, some Olympic lifting motions, and then some run, swim, bike, you know, just sort of anything, being ready for anything and, and constantly varied across modes, I believe is sort of their roughly uh, bastardized catchphrase. So you're really sort of doing a bunch of different stuff every day, and it's really intriguing, um, because you are always, you know, something new and interesting and, you know, sort of changing all the time. So a lot of people really like that varied aspect to it. Um, and the other positive, I think, with CrossFit classes especially is the camaraderie. And that's something mm-hmm. that Steve's touched on for sure is the, you know, the class situation where no one gets dropped and, you know, you're sort of everyone's in it together and just finishing the workout is, is pretty addictive. And I think that's something that a lot of people can learn, you know, if you're running fitness classes or have a gym or a cycling club, the idea of not necessarily um, the performance or winning, but just finishing, like getting through the workout is always sort of the, the goal for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely something a really good positive about CrossFit. Um, absolutely I think the only caveat is just not going in and being a a jackass like I like I do actually um when I've gone to CrossFit in the past like years ago I would go in and try to be competitive with people who were doing CrossFit all the time and I hadn't done it and I was still like oh I can do as many pull-ups as you I can do this I can do this and threw out my back um or slipped a disc actually uh, but now when I go to like similar, and I haven't been to a CrossFit class in a while, but going to similar styles of class, um, I'm definitely more within myself at this point. So I think that's kind of the most important thing is just go in and like know that you're not gonna maybe beat everyone and that's okay. Yeah, I would definitely go in focused on the camaraderie community um, and then just also the the variable movement. Because if you can embrace sort of just learning different movements and exposing your body to, you know, gradually increasing ranges of motion, um, you know, there's a lot of healthy things going on there. Um, But like anything, I mean, I just read an article about yoga, which you sort of just touched on and have talked about before, just like the competitiveness of yoga. And it was like, if you go to excuse this for Northern California, I love you. But if you go to a Northern California sort of yoga class and go full gas and try and beat everyone, like your risk is very high. Mm -hmm. And by the same token, if you go and try and, you know, run a marathon like an idiot after, you know, a mountain bike season, your risk of injury is very high. Like I said, I didn't walk. So, I mean, there's a lot of risky stuff you can do by just jumping, you know, right into it. Um, so I, I think sometimes CrossFit gets a, a bad name because of that. And there's certainly gyms that have done that to themselves, but there's also some really good, well-run gyms that are very responsible and, you know, help people get sort of set up and, and, and progressing. Um, and that's really what you're looking for in any gym. I don't think, you know, I think we're just talking about strength training here mm-hmm. more than anything. I think for cyclists, um, not that everyone here is a cyclist, but we're all sort of sports people. Um, if you do have a something that involves a lot of intensity in your, your normal routine, your outside routine, we'll call it, and you're going to try and augment with strength training, I would keep an eye on how much of the metabolic or the uh, like long burner type workouts where you're like really, really breathing hard and going hard versus more of a strength bias Um, just because you're getting if you're doing you know a weekly crit every week and maybe racing on the weekend or you know running 10ks or you're doing what other sports do we have like rowers or you know playing a hard game of 
soccer or ultimate, you know, there's some pretty anaerobic, like high intensity sort of cardio training there. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the gym, you're going to have to try and find a place that's going to bias towards what you're not getting and what you need support with. So for most cyclists and runners, it's actually more of a strength and movement bias that you need. The gymnastic stuff would be really good for you, but you need less of the like 20 minutes of like, you know, basically doing what you already are doing. You don't really need more training for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that would be my only thing is that a lot of times the goals of the person can get sort of missed in a, in a strength training class and finding an environment where you can sort of tailor that a little bit to what you're, what you need mm-hmm. is going to be your, your main challenge. Exactly. All right. I need to go uh, eat some pancakes. All right. Well, I'm going to go ride on a triathlon bike and try and not flip over. All right. Well, uh, you get on that. I'm going to go, yeah, eat pancakes and mountain bike. So I feel like my day is going a lot better than yours. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. If I, if I keep it up, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be okay. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, just a quick PSA. Uh, Shred Girls is now available on Amazon. So if you go to shred-girls.com, all the links and stuff are on there. Uh, buy one for the young cyclist or non-cyclist that you'd love to see riding. Uh, in your life, and we will be very grateful. Also, if you head over to iTunes and leave us a review or a rating or something, that would also be fantastic. And we have a ton of exciting episodes coming up, so I'm really excited. Thanks so much for listening to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And while you're there, consider subscribing. We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford and Peter is at Peter Glassford. If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.